Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Dramaturgically. I'll be your host, Stephen Clark. Thank you so much for, for clicking on this episode today. Um, this is the very first episode, like I mentioned, and I'm really looking forward to starting this podcast because I've really wanted to make a podcast like this for many, many years. And I guess I've just been working up the courage and experience to, to talk about uh, film and cinema and cinematic history in a way that I've, I will hopefully will be engaging and entertaining and thoughtful for everyone that's decided to join in. Um, yeah, I guess the, the main goal of this podcast is to, to offer interesting thoughts, observations, um, break down what makes these films stand the test of time, uncover some lessons about the production of the film, and hopefully learn a lot of things along the way. So yeah, without any further ado, thank you so much for for clicking onto the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the legendary 1947 film, Black Narcissus, directed by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Black Narcissus stands as a pinnacle of artistic achievement. It is perhaps the magnum opus alongside the red shoes of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, two of Britain's most incredible filmmakers, probably the two greatest British filmmakers of all time, from in my opinion, having seen their three sort of masterpiece films now, which is A Matter of Life and Death, Black Narcissus, and The Red Shoes, which, by the way, making those three films back-to-back-to-back to back to back isn't talked about enough and is probably one of the great all-time great runs of a director along with, like, Rob Reiner in the 80s and Spielberg in the 90s. Like, honestly, like, if you haven't seen all three of these films, like, the fact that they made them back-to-back-to-back is pretty incredible. But, yeah, like I mentioned, today we're going to be specifically looking at Black Black Narcissus, which sort of was, in my opinion, the darkest film, perhaps, that they ever made and is sort of a, a really rich exploration of sexual repression and um, colonialism of the time and the role of of Britain in a post-world, a post-war world um, and the role of women in a post-war world as well. And just some really, really, I hate to say ahead of its time because I think that the implication that saying, <laughs> that saying a film is ahead of its time um, is, I guess, insulting perhaps to to other artists of the time because the fact that you know that it implies that these directors and creatives weren't weren't um capable of great thought or great work is just sort of insulting but i'll definitely say that it definitely trailblazed uh the way um that a lot of people looked at film of the time and you know scorsese has even been quoted numerous times of saying that this film and um, the film that followed The Red Shoes are two of the biggest influences of his entire film career and two of his favorite films. And it's, it's, no, it's no secret to see. There's a lot of reasons why you might say that. Not only are the narratives just absolutely incredible and rich and dark and poignant, but also the visual landscape of these films. And that's something that has to be brought up a lot when talking about these films because they're shot on Technicolor um, by the legendary Jack Cardiff, who, if you haven't seen a film shot by Jack Cardiff, like, I don't know if you've seen a film, because that, like, the way that this guy was able to visually uh, capture 
what his directors are setting out is just incredible. And this film won Best Cinematography at the Oscars, and it's no surprise to me because um, not only is the use of lighting and framing um, really brilliant, but also the use of matte painting backgrounds. And sometimes in old films, matte painting backgrounds can be distracting and can be something that takes you out of the experience. But in this film, it's completely it's completely immersive and at no point do you ever question that you're in the Himalayas when in fact the entirety of the film was shot on a studio, um, which yeah, just another testament to the time. I think to some extent people are still trying to make films look as good as this film looks today. And um, having been lucky enough to see, to see this in 2023 on the Criterion Blu-ray release, I feel absolutely astonished that yeah, almost 80 years on, we still can't make films that look as good as this. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of the great Technicolor films. So get diving in, into the story a little bit now, um, Black Narcissus is sort of a story that, that probes into the depths of the, the human condition, exploring themes of desire, repression, and the impact um, of environment, of what vi- environment has on a character. And this is sort of something that is present throughout a lot of Paul and Pressburger's films is how the environment um, impacts a character and can sort of bring out um, desires, regrets, um, repressions within the character, and it's it's no more on display than this film. So this film is about a group of nuns that are sent out to the Himalayas to essentially bring their teachings to a small village um, where they'll be living above them in this big temple, which was used to be a pleasure house. Um, so it's about these nuns sort of dealing with the conflict of um, trying their best to to be good, pious, religious people and bringing education and, and medicine to, to this corner of the world. But they're sort of constantly reminded by the people that live in the village and particularly this British expat named uh, Mr. Dean who lives in the village that people have tried to change this town and village before and sort of haven't succeeded. And this is really drilled home in a lot of different ways throughout the film. Um, specifically, there's a, there's a monk that lives above even higher up in the mountains than the nuns do. And th- this sort of character is just a reminder of the, the immovableness of, of the Eastern culture and the fact that, you know, that the, I, I guess a criticism of, of the way that, that, that Western colonialism of the time thought that it could just rock up to these places, um, offer them salvation through repression and sacrifice and then expect just everyone to follow blindly. And just a, a criticism of that arrogance, I suppose. And I find it, I found it to be really poignant and um, extremely striking for the time. Um, and there's a lot of controversies that, that surround this film, which I'll get into a little later. But getting back to the, the crux of the story. So the main two characters that we follow are Sister Clodagh, who is portrayed by Deborah Kerr, and uh, Sister Ruth, who is portrayed by Kathleen Byron. Now, these two sisters sort of sit at opposite spectrums of the, the nunnery. Sister Clodagh is the slightly more senior of the two, who is sort of tasked with leading this expedition and uh, being in charge of this group of nuns as they, as they set out to, to build this, this school and this, this hospital. And she sort of feels the weight of responsibility, and she's even told by a superior to her that they don't think that she's ready for this task, um, but they're going to send her on anyway. And I guess she's got this sort of self-doubt that permeates through her the entire film, which is a really great theme for her because this is also part of her story is, is her 
I guess, reckoning with her own identity and her own place within the church and within the nunnery and the sisterhood. And this is something that's explored really, really deeply. And she's a really great lead character for us. And then we have Kathleen Byron, like I mentioned, who plays Sister Ruth, who I guess is sort of the antagonistic force of the film to a lot of extent. And she she comes into the film and we're introduced to her and she's sort of a bit of a troublemaker, maybe a bit of a wild card within the sisterhood. She hasn't particularly taken to the piety of, of the sisterhood and life, or religious life. Um, we don't know too much about her background, but seemingly she hasn't been a good fit. And I think that the nuns are worried that she might revoke her, her, her vow and leave the nunnery. So they've sort of sent her with this group as a, a last ditch attempt, essentially, um, to, to save her soul as they, as they, they righteously believe. Um, and they think that perhaps working within a smaller convent, um, will give her greater satisfaction and maybe be better for her. Um, but as things turn out for, for Kathleen Byron's character, Sister Ruth, um, this is pretty much the exact opposite of what happens and the inhospitableness of the place that they are living really becomes such an intriguing, almost a character in the film in itself because just the, the characters are just constantly bombarded with wind and altitude sickness and just a a feeling of real displacement and a fact of non-belonging, um, which I guess ties into that theme that a lot of the sisters are feeling, which is, you know, they're non-belonging within, within the church itself and, and reflections of their own pasts. And specifically, our lead character, Sister Cloda, has a series of flashbacks which sort of reveal that she once, before joining the sisterhood, had a really, uh, a really interesting life that was filled with agency and, you know, we're seeing, we see her fulfilling uh, masculine roles like fishing and sort of uh, dressed in... Uh, very, very uh, modern attire for the time. And this is in complete contrast to how we see her now in the in donning the, the white uh, nunnery overalls. Um, <laughs> so, so something we, we learn must have happened in her past to, to make it this way. And it's sort of slowly revealed that she gave up her virginity to a, a man um, who she believed loved her, but then sort of ran away to America and, and left her to sort of deal and reckon with the consequences of of her opening up her sexuality, which in turn then forced her to to seek out uh, forgiveness in in the church, and has now uh, led a life of of religious um, servitude and and sexual repression. And on the other hand, with Sister Ruth, we see this sort of internal t- turmoil where. Um, perhaps she hasn't had a similar background to Cloda, where she has experienced um, an outlet for these for these sexual desires and has subsequently rejected them. She perhaps is someone who has lived her life uh, without ever expressing the, these inner sexual desires, and we see this manifest in her obsession with Mr. Dean, the Englishman expat who lives in the village below, and she be- begins to really fixate on him in a really unhealthy uh, way and it becomes clear to the audience that Mr. Dean has no real sexual interest in in these nuns and he doesn't really view them as sexual beings and isn't really attracted to them or in love with any of them he's just simply going about his life and as this sort of obsession becomes greater and greater and greater we really see the the dark side of of what repression does to people's minds and um and eventually um eventually Sister Ruth completely breaks. And as the film transitions into the third act, it becomes almost like a gothic horror film in a lot of ways. And she abandons her 
her role within the church and tells them that she's planning to leave. And, and in this, we get this really striking transformation uh, where she takes off her white nunnery clothes and replaces them with a red dress and red lipstick. And and it almost resembles like a demonic possession at times. And the, the way that she looks is so striking and so in contrast to every way that we've seen these women up to this point and is, and is just a, a, a real a real aggressive approach that she takes um, and she essentially seeks out revenge on on this religious organization which she feels is oppressive and um, hypocritical and um, and she, this sort of manifests in her violence against sister Cloda who I guess represent as the head of their little nunnery group here sort of represents um, everything that she's come to hate. And um, yeah, it comes down to this violent conflict, which I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't seen the film. Another really interesting character that I think it's worth mentioning is uh, this young Indian girl named Kanchi, who comes into the story probably about half an hour in and essentially is introduced by uh, Mr. Dean, the Englishman, as sort of this uh, young girl who's about 17 and keeps following him around and essentially is, is trying to seduce him. And um, she's shown to us as someone who's very open about her sexuality. She's dressed um, very provocatively and is uh, wearing flowers and jewelry and is just uh, probably one of the best representations of what the, what the townspeople below are like um, when they fully embrace their sexuality. And he sort of hands her over to the sisterhood and in a last-ditch attempt, really from his point of view, just to get rid of her. But from the sister's point of view, they see her as an opportunity to perhaps have an impact on the town and to demonstrate to the the greater town at large uh what they can become if they embrace if they embrace uh religion and and repression essentially um but what's really starkly interesting about um what happens with this character of kanchi is that it's not what you might suspect she doesn't follow down the path and become a nun um in fact, it's quite a thematically rich story, which then she rejects this. She sees how they're acting. She sees deep within the repression. Um, and because she's living in this palace now where the walls are adorned with all these fantastic paintings of naked women dancing and embracing their sexuality because of the, the past of this building being a, being a, a brothel or essentially a, a, a pleasure house, um, she sort of embraces everything and and uh, she's probably one of the, the few characters in the film who perhaps might be uh, lifted out of poverty um, because she seduces uh, the young Indian general that works in the palace and with the, with, the, with the village. And I guess she's sort of rewarded for embracing her sexuality, which is really interesting because um, that is a really, I guess, progressive message for the, for the time. And I think that that's brought home even more by the controversy that I mentioned earlier, which is around the flashbacks in this film of Sister Cloda and uh, her, her story. Um, by removing that, the, essentially the American um, League of Decency, <laughs> which I didn't even know what that is, but apparently that's a, that's a sensory board of somewhat, uh, had those flashbacks removed um, because it was a negative implication for religious life and religion and yeah which just goes to show you know the 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 feelings of and sentiments of the time and uh probably why pal and pressburger were such provocative filmmakers and um probably why they're so revered to this day because they weren't afraid to challenge the status quo of the time like all great artists do 
Probably one last really important message that I want to talk about with this film is that colonial aspect. So I believe 1947 was actually the last year of British rule in India. So this film really is a, such an excellent uh, full stop on that story and the, I guess the story of colonialism um, in the East in general. Um, we sort of, at the end of the film, we sort of get one last glimpse as the nuns um, look up at the palace sort of they're failed in their mission and they're they're returning back to back to this their initial nunnery and the palace is obscured by clouds leaving us with this lingering sense that perhaps the local people would have been better off if the nuns had never arrived and in the context of the impending end of the british rule in india black narcissus sort of serves as a, a searing critique of the british establishment's presumption or belief that it knew what was best for the people under its colonial rule so just to sort of end things off, if you haven't seen Black Narcissus, I hope this hasn't spoiled too much for you. I tried to keep it sort of spoiler-free, um, but with a with an interesting perspective of why you might enjoy this film. Because on the surface of things, I don't think many people would pick this film up because it's a film about nuns in the Himalayas. It doesn't sound that interesting, but trust me when I say that it's a really, really striking, uh, not only uh, visually, but also narratively, um, really deep film just about repression and about the place of of women and britain on the world stage in a post-war era so yeah thank you so much for joining me for the very first episode of dramaturgically um i will be looking to to do more of these episodes as i go on hopefully bringing some guests and friends of mine who also have a love for foreign and world cinema and until next time thank you so much for joining and have a great day